growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's pretty amazing, if you think about it, that God would even invite us to explore the depths of who He is as a God. It's an astounding thing when you begin to think who Scripture reveals Him to be and the fact that this God invites us to know Him. Not just to know about Him. Listen to me, that's religion. But to know Him, that's relationship. Who is God? What do we know about Him? What can we know about God? Does it even matter? If I'm going to worship God, I better know who God is because if I don't, then I'm worshiping a God that's other than God. My worship should be theologically correct. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Knowing about God matters very much. That's why Pastor Clay is taking a few weeks to explore some of the mysteries and attributes of God in the I Am series. We've spent about three weeks looking at arguments and evidences for God's existence. And last week we began to explore the mystery of the doctrine of the Trinity. As Pastor Clay explained, and as you'll hear him say again today, we can never fully comprehend all that it means to say that God is one and three. But the pages of God's Word are filled with passages to build a strong case for this doctrine that has been a part of Orthodox Christianity from the beginning. Multiple, multiple verses pointing out that there is one God, pointing out that the Father is God, pointing out that the Son is God, pointing out that the Holy Spirit is God. And so taking all of Scripture in context, you come to the conclusion that the doctrine of the Trinity comes not from the mind of man, but from the mind of God. Today, Pastor Clay is picking up where he left off last week, summarizing some of the points from last week's message, and looking at religious groups that don't believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, why it's important to know who does and doesn't believe in it, and why the doctrine of the Trinity isn't a contradiction. Thanks so much for joining us today. Let's dive right in. Who is God? What is God like? Those are, those are some of the questions that we are attempting to answer in this series entitled the I Am series. Looking at this, this person that we, that, we, that we call God, that we recognize as God, or several other names revealed in Scripture. But who is God? What is God like? To delve into that as I think I said last week before, like to delve into the, the depth of that question, those questions, is, is a lot to think about. But if you hang around cross-culture long, you know that I am not one who is opposed to delving into uh, deeper spiritual matters or thinking uh, above what I might normally think about or that sort of thing. Sometimes people think, well, it's Sunday, I can... Just check out. But I, wanna, I like to challenge you. I like to encourage you to, to be spurred on to, to greatness in what God has in store for you. So exploring this idea of the great I am. Who is God? What is God like? Is an important thing. It's pretty uh, amazing if you think about it. That God would even, that God would even uh, allow this. That God would even uh, invite us to explore the depths of, of who he is as a God. It's, it's, it's an astounding thing when you begin to think who, who Scripture reveals him to be. And the fact that this God invites us to know him. Not just to know about him, 
Listen to me. That's religion. But to know Him, that's relationship. And that's the difference. And it is an amazing thing that God would do that. In fact, uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in, in Psalm 8, the psalmist says this. He says, when I look at the sky, which you have made, the, the vastness of it, which, which scientists are still trying to discover the vastness of it. When I look at the sky, which you have made, at the moon and the stars, which you set in their places. When I take time to slow down in the busyness of life, right? And got this to do and got to be here and got to do that and this appointment and that appointment and, and got to run here and got to have the kids there. And in, the, in the midst of all that, the psalmist says, when I stop and, and I just begin to contemplate who God is and I begin to, and all I have to do is just go out into the night sky and I look up there. And to know uh, that, that you flung the stars from your fingertips. He, he says, what are human beings that you think of them? Mere mortals that you care for them. How astounding is it that in all of his greatness and in all of his glory, in all of his awesomeness, he invites us to know him. And, and, and he even tells us how to do it. Jeremiah 29.10 says this. He says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me. With all your heart. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with what? All your heart. With all your heart. I, I seriously question how many people today genuinely search for God. The, the, that would get a hold of this idea of searching for God with all of their heart. Now, for the record, I do not believe... That that means that every waking moment of my life must be uh, thinking about God and, and uh, who God is and, and uh, buried in the Bible and, uh, and that, and that all, the, all the other stuff of my life and all the people of my life uh, have to be rejected and cast off to the side and, and I have to just pack up and go live as a monk in a monastery somewhere. I do not believe that that's what it means to say, to say that I'm going to seek God with all of my heart. What I do think it means, though, is that in all of the stuff, in all of the responsibilities, in all of the people and, and things of my life, that in the midst of all of that, God is the priority of my life. That all that other stuff that I have and all those other people that I love and that love me or responsibilities that I have at work or, or in my family or that all, all of that, all of that has its place, but its place is underneath the priority of God. And whenever any of those things begin to take precedent over the priority of God in my life, that's when I need to recognize something's out of kilter, something's wrong here. So I don't think it means that, that everything else, no, I have to but it does mean that there is this sense of priority. When you search for me with all of your heart. So that's, that's part of what this series is about. Is trying to discover who is God. What is God like? What does God want for me and for my life? What are his expectations for me and for my life? And so last week we began to delve into some deep Territory we began to delve into the idea of what is known as the doctrine of the Trinity. Ooh, 
that scare you? Ooh. The doctrine of the Trinity. And we started last week by looking at, at this idea. This is the first time we looked at. What is the doctrine? What is the doctrine of the Trinity? What is that? Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you've never been in church or anything and, and you've never heard that term before. What Trinity? What is that? Maybe you've grown up in church and you've heard that word tossed around or that phrase. What is the doctrine of the Trinity? And we, we defined it this way. We came up with a definition we, that looked like this. God is one in essence and three in person. In its simplest form, if you can, if you can call it that. In its simplest form, God is one in essence and three in persons. I, I wonder if I could get you just to read, to read that out loud with me again. God is one in essence and three in persons. So that is what the doctrine of the Trinity believes or teaches or says. Okay? You with me so far? Second question that we asked last week was this. Why does the doctrine of the Trinity matter? Okay, what is doctrine? Okay, I, 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 get your, I get your definition. God is one in essence, three in persons. Why does the doctrine of the Trinity matter? Matter And I read to you last week, John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, and I want to read them again uh, this morning. And it says this, But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. By the way, the, the in-spirit part, I, I think, is simply saying that, that my worship uh, for God should be authentic. It should be genuine. It comes from who I am. It comes from my spirit, my regenerated spirit in Christ Jesus. In other words, it's not, I'm not just looking up at the screen and saying, okay, let's sing these next words. Uh, you know, what time do I have to be out of here? Or what have I got to do next week? That, that my, that's my spirit. It's who I am, that I'm engaging in this act of worship. And God says, that if you want to worship me, it, it's got to be who you are. It's got to be in spirit. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be genuine and truth. In other words, if I'm going to worship God, I better know who God is. Because if I don't, then I'm worshiping a God that's other than God. And so, in other words, my worship should be theologically correct, to use the big term. Okay? My worship should be theologically correct, truthful, right. So, uh, it matters because... One of the reasons it matters is because it helps us, I brought this up last week, it helps us to know, understand, and worship God correctly. If you're here and you profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ or you believe in God, is this a fair question to ask? Do you want to worship God in a way that is, uh, in a way that you know and understand and, and is correctly? Do, do you want to do that? Do you want to worship God in that manner? I certainly would hope so. The doctrine of the Trinity delves into this area and gets us to a place where we begin to understand more about who God is and how he has revealed himself to us. So it's important for that reason. I also said last week that it's important because it helps us to identify false religions and ideas about God. And we'll get to those in just a moment. But that's one of the things the doctrine of Trinity does because it does become, in a sense, a litmus test for proper theology, what the church holds to. Isn't that exciting? Come on, act like you're excited anyway. <laughs> it's important. Take my word for it. <laughs> okay, and then the third uh, idea that we shared last week was this. Where did the doctrine of the Trinity come from? 
And if you were here last week, if you weren't and you're interested, I encourage you to go back and listen or watch that message. But where did the doctrine of the Trinity come from? Because as I said, many people have said that's a man-made idea. The word Trinity doesn't even appear in the Bible, which is correct. I brought that out. The word Trinity does not appear anywhere in the Bible. So it's man-made and it's it's false. It should be rejected. So where does the doctrine of the Trinity come from? And if you were here last week, you know that we went through multiple, multiple verses pointing out that there is one God, pointing out that the Father is God, pointing out that the Son is God, pointing out that the Holy Spirit is God. Y'all, were y'all here? Do y'all remember that? Do you remember all those verses? And I said to you that there are literally hundreds more that we could look at. And so when you do that, when you, when you, when you take this, this, uh, this compilation of Scripture, uh, you're taking all of Scripture in context and you're taking all of these in, you come to the conclusion, and here's what I said last week, but you come to the conclusion that the doctrine of the Trinity comes not from the mind of man, but from the mind of God. That this was, this was what God, this is how God revealed himself to us. Okay? So, I, and, if you, and again, I encourage you, go back and listen last week if you don't believe me, because I think it's what God's word clearly shows us. Even though the word Trinity never appears, clearly God uh, seems to be revealing himself in that way. Okay, here we go. Let's start now into the, uh, the, the fourth one of these areas that we're looking at, the fourth question, and that is, who rejects the doctrine of the Trinity? This is not an exhaustive list, but I did think that it was perhaps important to at least bring out a little bit about who some of the main players are in religious circles that would would reject the doctrine of Trinity. They would say, no, mm -mm, that's not true, that's not how it works, and so I felt like you should at least uh, look at a few of those, okay? Now, um, we could obviously, what would be called the non-monotheistic religions, um, Buddhism and Hinduism and Taoism and animism, it goes without saying that those, they, those reject the idea of the, of the Trinity. They, they reject the idea of, of God as one and, you know, they, they're, just, they're not even on the same wavelength, okay? So they, they go without saying. But I want to take a look first at what are some of the monotheistic religions, mono meaning one, religions that believe that there is just one God. Okay, let's start with Judaism. Judaism. Now, when I say Judaism, I do not mean all Jews. Because there are, uh, there are a lot of Jews. They, they are in the minority of the Jewish population, for sure. But there are a lot of Jews who do believe that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, that he died on the cross, that he rose again on the third day, and they believe, therefore, in the doctrine of the Trinity. They believe that he was God, and the Father is God, and the Spirit is God. And so I'm not saying that all Jews, as a blanket statement, do not believe in the Trinity, but it is safe to say that anyone who practice, practices uh, Judaism, Judaism, anyone who practices that religion, does not believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. They reject the idea that Jesus is God. They believe that he was a rabbi, he was a teacher, he was a rebel, but he certainly was not God. He was no more than that, and he got what was coming to him is is what they would probably say. So they believe in the concept of one God, but by that they mean God is one in essence and God is one in person. There's just one God. Jesus was just a man, okay? Second monotheistic religion, Islam. Islam, in the news a lot lately because of terrorist attacks and all that kind of thing. Uh, Muslims, or those who adhere to Islam, uh, also reject the doctrine of Trinity. They believe in one God, but they believe God is one in essence and one in person. 
and therefore there is only one God. They do hold Jesus in high regard, by the way. They, they, they hold him in high regard. They do believe that he was a prophet. They even believe that he was a great prophet. But they do not believe he was God. Uh, they also, uh, by the way, do not believe that he died on the cross. And they do not believe that he physically, literally rose again from the dead. So they reject the doctrine of the Trinity and say that there is just one God and they identify him as Allah. Those are the two main monotheistic religions besides Christianity, okay? Now, let's look at some, uh, some religions that, that essentially try and identify with Christianity. All right? All right? Come on. <laughs> I know it's a lot, all right? Let's start with Mormonism. Mormonism. By the way, uh, guys, men, uh, Man Up is meeting again this coming Tuesday evening. You'll see, uh, well, I'll send the thing out again. Mary sends it out all the time. But if you're a, a guy, we'd love for you to come and be a part of that. If you've not taken part yet or you haven't been in a while, um, Michael Martin will be uh, bringing discussion this Tuesday evening on Mormonism and uh, what it is, what it isn't, and, and uh, how you can impact people's lives that are in a Mormon belief system and that sort of thing. But Mormon, Mormons reject the doctrine of the Trinity. Mormons believe that Jesus was a God, but he was not the God. Okay? Uh, Mormonism teaches that uh, Jesus was one of two uh, brothers, uh, literally uh, born as a result of the sexual union between uh, Father God and, and Spirit Mother. Is that what they would say? Spirit Mother, something? Heavenly Mother. Um, the other brother, by the way, was Satan, uh, who went, went bad, um, but Jesus uh, came down to earth and did his deal. And so uh, that's how they see Jesus. He's, he's a God. By the way, they also believe that you and I can become God, just like Jesus. Really, just like uh, Father God, or just like God the Father, because as, you, as, as he was, or as he is, they believe you can be, or something like that. I forget how they put that. But you can become this uh, a God eventually if you're a good Mormon. So if you're a good man, male Mormon, uh, when you die, you get your own planet to populate, as, as God the Father did with Earth. You get your own planet to uh, populate with your, uh, with your spirit wives, plural, uh, for all of eternity uh, populating that planet. So if you're a good woman, you get to spend eternity uh, having babies. So I, I don't, I don't I'm just, I'm just that's what, how it is. So whatever you think of that. But uh, they reject that Jesus was the God uh, and therefore reject the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay? Uh, let's look at another one. Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses reject the doctrine of the Trinity. They uh, really hold more to what's known as Arianism, which was, which was an ancient heresy that, um, that taught that, that God the Son was a created being. They, Jehovah's Witnesses, as a matter of fact, believe that uh, Jesus was, in fact, Michael the archangel in heaven. Uh, he came down to earth and he became the Messiah or the, the Christ at his uh, baptism. Uh, but he was a created being. He is not uh, the God, and he is uh, therefore not part of this triune Godhead that's, that's made up like that. Uh, they also, just if you're wondering, they also believe that um, only, the, only the best, I guess this would be correct to say, only the 
the really best and brightest 144,000 top Jehovah's Witnesses get to go to heaven, and the rest of the good Jehovah's Witnesses get to spend eternity on earth, which, you know, it's going to be paradise and all that kind of stuff. Um, they also do not believe in hell. They are annihilationists. They believe if, you're, if, you, if you don't believe, if you're not a believer, then when you die, it's just it. You're just over, and that's, that's the end of it. So uh, some other doctrinal differences there. But the main idea is that they, they reject the doctrine of the Trinity, that God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit are all God. Okay. All right, real quickly. Uh, United Church of God uh, rejects the doctrine of Trinity. They're, they're, they're an offshoot of the worldwide Church of God. So I, I don't think all Church of God denominations reject the Trinity, but uh, the United Church of God, they, they would reject it. Um, they see more of a hierarchical structure. Uh, God the Father is, is tops, and then uh, Jesus is a mid-level manager, and then the Holy Spirit uh, slides in there somewhere, too. I'm sorry, I don't know. Uh, that's what they would, would believe. Uh, oneness Pentecostals would be another uh, denomination that would reject the Trinity. Uh, again, not all Pentecostals, I don't think. I don't think all Pentecostals reject the Trinity, but uh, the group known as Oneness Pentecostals uh, reject the Doctrine of Trinity. I just want you to see uh, a, a few of these. Um, uh, Scientology, uh, of course, you probably figured that out, would Unitarians uh, would reject the Doctrine of the Trinity. As I said, this is not an exhaustive uh, list. It's just an attempt to, to show that, uh, that there are those that reject this idea, this doctrine that has been accepted by the, the, the church, the universal church, for a uh, long, 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 long time. Here's kind of why this uh, matters, part of the reason why this matters. There has been an attempt uh, in, in the last 100 years, 50 years, has been an attempt at what I, what I would call an amalgamation of, of religions. There's been this attempt to, to say, hey, all religions are basically the same. We all basically believe in God. The, the theological term is called syncretism. Uh, that that we, can just, we can just bring all of these religions together. Come on, uh, they're, they're all, we're all the same. We may call God a different name, but after all, we're, we're basically believing in the same God. That, that's what, what syncretism is, and we can all just come together and believe it. Listen to me. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Now, now listen to me. Listen to me. I'm not saying that that means that, that, that they don't have a right to worship God, the God they believe in. That is absolutely not what I'm saying. The First Amendment of the United, of, of, of United States of America says that all peoples are free to worship in uh, whoever they choose, in, in the manner that they choose to worship them, the the the, the Buddhist, the the Muslim, the the Jew, the Baptist, the Mormon, they are all they all have the same right to worship the God that they choose to worship. Okay, and some of you have fought for that very right for people to have that very right, and I and I would I would fight for the right for each person to be able to worship the God that they choose to worship. That, that we have the same right to do that. But that doesn't mean that all of those gods are the same. That doesn't mean that all religions are the same. That would be part of the whole, the coexist bumper sticker people that, that you see around all the time. That would be their idea that, hey, we're all, come on, we're all the same. We can just all come together. And after all, it's all, we call him, might call him Allah. We might call him Jesus. We, we might call him the man on the moon. But, we're, but we all are kind of worshiping the same uh, person. So come on, let's just all come together. And uh, no, there, there's, a, there's a difference there. So 
So part of the purpose of the doctrine of the Trinity is to show that not all religions are the same. They're not all the same. Okay? Doctrine of the Trinity helps you kind of figure some of that out. Okay? Now, somebody would say, well, yeah, of course you'd say that. You'd say that, that yours is the right one. But they'd say the same thing. They would say their religion is the right one. They would say their religion is the one that will get you to God. They would say that their religion is the one that's, that's true and accurate. I, I'm, I wouldn't argue with that for a minute. That's absolutely accurate. That, that we would all make the same claim. But as I, I've said, I've said this a lot of different ways. I've said it many different ways. You, you can believe in any God. You can believe in many gods. You can believe in no God. But I'm going to believe in the God that rose from the dead. That's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to believe in the God that rose from the dead. And, uh, and so that's, that's what people have to, to do. They have that right. But it doesn't mean we're all the same. Okay? So, uh, so part of it is to show that not all religions are the same. And then also part of it is to, express beliefs, to, to expose belief systems that attempt to pass themselves off as just another part of a denomination of Christianity. I'm going to run out of time here before I get to the last one, but that's okay. Um, so part of it is to, is to because they're... Listen... Let me say this. Sometimes when some of those people that hold to a different religion or belief system come to your door, oftentimes what they will say will sound very much like Christianity. That is intentional. They want for you to think of their belief system as just like your belief system. There's just maybe it's just a little bit better. But that, but that we're all Christians. This is part of why the doctrine of the Trinity is important. So, when one of those persons comes to your door, and they, and they will sooner or later, one of those persons comes to your door, and, and, and you engage in a conversation with them, and they're telling you things that sound very much like Christian doctrine, at whatever point you think is appropriate, you can interject and, and ask them a simple question. Let me ask, ask you this. Do you believe in the doctrine of the Trinity? Do you believe that God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, uh, God the Son are all co-equal, co-eternal, uh, co God, when they, when they finish at some point squirming around or trying to get out of it or saying, no, I don't believe in that, what I would encourage you to do is to take them to some passages of Scripture, some of those passages of Scripture that we looked at last week that clearly so, show that the Bible reveals that, that God, the Father, was God, the Father was God, the Son was God. Take them to some of those passages of Scripture. God can use you to affect a person's life that, that doesn't even... I just heard recently about... Uh, someone who was out on, on Mormon uh, mission, and they came to Christ as a result of somebody challenging them with the Word of God. So God, God can use us in that way. I think I also should point out that, that if you engage someone like that, and, they, and you bring up some verses, and they say, no, I don't believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, they almost certainly, if, if they know half of anything about what they believe, they almost certainly will uh, raise a particular passage of Scripture uh, to you, when you say you believe in the doctrine of Trinity, and they say they don't believe in doctrine of Trinity, they almost certainly will bring this passage of Scripture up, John uh, chapter fourteen. You heard that I said to you, I go away and will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. They will they will bring John fourteen to your attention. And they'll say, well, see right there, it's out of Jesus' own lips. Jesus said the Father is greater than I. So there you go. It must be that the Father is a higher level than than God. One of the things that false religions and and cults and 
whatever, one of the things that they love to do is something that I call uh, pen knife or pocket knife theology. Uh, they love to cut out one particular passage of Scripture and just focus on that one, just pound that one passage of Scripture. See, see there, see there, see there. Or they like to cut out all different passages of Scripture from all over the place and, and paste them all together and build a theology, uh, build an entire narrative about God from individual pieces that they have found uh, somewhere. But what is it, if you've been around me for, for any period of time, was it that I always say are the three most important words for proper interpretation of Scripture? Context, context, context. Those are the three most important words for properly interpreting Scripture. And so, I would confess to you, admit to you, that a surface reading of John chapter 4 would appear to say that, well, yeah, Jesus just said the Father is greater than, than Him. But in its context, I, I would propose to you that that is not what Jesus is saying at all. They would have you believe that Jesus is saying that, that, that the Father is superior to me. The key word uh, is the little conjunction for or because, as it's translated in the New American uh, Standard. Uh, Jesus is, is telling his disciples that, uh, that he's going to be going back to heaven. And he says to them, and, and you ought to rejoice that I'm going back uh, to the Father for or because the Father is greater than I. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that in his humanity, he, Jesus, God the Son, willingly placed himself under the desire of the Godhead and he began to experience things that he never would have experienced in, in, if he hadn't come to earth. You understand? He, he would never experience hunger. He would never experience suffering. He would never be spit in the face he would never be punched. He would never die on a cross. So certainly uh, in his exalted place in, e in eternity, that is far greater. That is far better to be there than to have to endure what he was going to have to endure. If you really want to understand John 14, you have to take a passage with, that's essentially saying the same thing from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2. And I want to take the time to read it to you. It's okay if we don't get to the other one. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, in its context, he's talking about us and how we're to live humble lives. Okay? But watch what he says. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. In other words, I'm not, I'm not going down there, live among them. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. Remember, it already, already established fact uh, up at the very beginning of the verse that he was God, right? Okay? He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So don't let them use John 14 against because what he's he's not saying that the Father is superior to him. What he's saying is that that he that God the Son willingly humbled himself, placed himself in a position that was lower. He became a, as a servant, as a slave, and that the, the disciples, you and I, should rejoice that he is going back to his exalted position at the right hand of the Father. He's going back to right to where he's always been for all of eternity. Okay, I want to say this again. God can use you, he can use me, but it requires that we understand what we believe and why we believe what we believe and, and how we know the difference between what one person believes and another person believes when sometimes what they say will sound very much like what you say.
So a litmus test that you always can use is tell me about the doctrine of the Trinity. What do you believe about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And you'll get some answers. You'll probably get John chapter 14. But when you do, you take them immediately to Philippians chapter 2 and you show them how what Jesus was saying is not that the Father is superior, but that he willingly came to earth and placed himself under the will of the Godhead, suffered, bled, died, so that he could return to eternity in his exalted position and bring as many as would come with him. You, God can use you. I'm telling you, you may look at a person, that person will never get saved. God can use you to speak truth. That's what we're talking about into their life. In John uh, chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus said, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. That's what you're looking for. That's what they need. Without it, without truth, they, they are... They face eternal damnation and separation from God Almighty. Not because, not because a follower of Jesus is better or more righteous or more deserving, but because we've heard the truth. Someone shared the truth with us. And the Spirit of God brought conviction into our lives. And we responded to that conviction. And we received Christ as our Savior. And so... Let me just say this in closing. If you happen to buy in, if you happen, and I know, I understand the world we live in, but if you happen to buy into the politically correct idea that, well, you know, I, I can't say, you know, he's wrong and I, I'm right. I, I, can't, uh, I can't say that their religion is wrong and my religion is right. Of course you can. And not only can you, you, you must. You must. Their, their eternal destinies are at stake here. And... And we ought, to, we ought to care where, per, where a person will spend eternity. Now, that doesn't mean that we're arrogant. It doesn't mean that we're, you know, holier than thou or, you know, that doesn't. And I know, I, I know Christians can get that way. It doesn't mean that. But it means in humble humility to be able to say, oh, no, listen. listen let, me, let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you what he has done for me, what he's done for you. Let me tell you who he is. Let me show you from his word who he is and how he's revealed himself to us. So I would just close by asking this question. What about, what about you in this room today? I realize this is, I realize this is not church light. You gotta, but in discussing this and looking this and talking about this, the fact that, that God would do this, that he would humble himself and he would come to earth, that he would give us the opportunity to know him, to seek him with all of our heart, that we could have a relationship with him because of his finished work on the cross. What about you? Do, have you made that decision? Do you know for certain that you've invited him into your life to be the savior of your life? Not that you know, just, just know about him. I'll say it again, that's religion. But to know him, that's relationship. Do you know him? Do you know him? We've certainly been given plenty to think about in last week's and this week's look at the doctrine of the Trinity. Certainly there is much mystery to the person of God, but it should be clear that Scripture builds a strong case for the doctrine of the Trinity. You know, the more we learn about God, the more we should be amazed that He would choose to love us and redeem us. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. 
Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross-Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.